the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Cassette is America's greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. I forgot to mention that. In the final hour, I want to play a little bit from an interview I did the other day with a World War II veteran. He's one of my all-time favorite people. His name's Bud. Um, I just have I have two clips, and they're two of the greatest things I've ever heard in my life. I, I don't, I'm not a good teaser in the business. You call it the tease. Coming up like that. I'm not really good at that. But I, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard ever. Uh, I'm gonna put it up on my Facebook page too. So you can check it out. Uh, search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. But we're going to talk about that coming up in the last hour. Uh, real quick, I want to wrap up this theme, at least for now, about culture and how culture is everything. And I think once we all have this foundation knowledge of culture, it changes how at least I view everything, every story, every controversy, every policy related to welfare or many other things. Culture is is everything. You know, Andrew Breitbart used to say that politics is downstream of culture. Meaning if you want to change politics, you have to change culture first. Last hour, we talked a lot about big picture culture, like American culture and black culture and uh, culture from East Anglia, England and the Scottish Badlands. These are like big picture culture. But today or this hour, I want to talk about small term culture or micro culture, which is really just a family of families set of values and a, and a person's set of values. Theodore Dalrymple, uh, really like his writing. That's his pen name. He is a British psychiatrist who works at worked at the poorest hospital and different prisons in England. And he wrote a book a couple years back called Life at the Bottom, The Worldview That Makes the Underclass. Full disclosure, I have not I have not read it. I look forward to reading it very soon. Uh, but this, I've read a bunch of book reviews and articles that he's written that make up the book. Uh, I just want to read this one uh, review of it. Dalrymple's key insight in this book is that long-term poverty is not caused by economics, but by a dysfunctional set of values. Now, quick time out here. Think of the insight that this man's had for decades of his life, working with people in the poorest hospitals and prisons in England. He's seen it multiple times every single day for decades, a dysfunctional set of values which led people to where they are. One, uh, this dysfunctional set of values, one that is continually reinforced by an elite culture searching for victims. That goes back to Peter Thiel's argument about um, multiculturalism, which is really just searching for racism, searching for victims. This culture persuades those at the bottom that they have no responsibility for their actions and are not the molders of their own lives. Hence, Thomas Sowell saying he was at Marquette, black student stands up and says, I have no hope in my life, et cetera, et cetera. He's like, what are you talking about? You have more opportunity than certainly I had 50 years ago. Dalrymple says you cannot take any people of any color and exempt them from the requirements of civilization, including work, behavioral standards, personal responsibility, and all the other basic things that the clever intelligentsia, the the elite, 
disdain. You can't exempt people from the requirements of civilization without ruinous consequences to them and to society at large. I, I don't get what the heck is wrong with us. Not only that we would do this to people in the first place, exempt them from the requirements of civilization. What is wrong with us that we would do this to anyone in the first place? But what's wrong with us today that we still ignore what we've done and double down on it? George Will wrote an editorial just a couple days ago entitled, What If the major causes of poverty are behavioral. What if the major causes of poverty are behavioral? Of course they are. This is so un PC. Like no one's allowed to talk like this. Yeah, of course, of course they're behavioral. Now, listen, there's certain circumstances. Some people grow up and this happens that that's out of sort there, but, 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 but yeah, yeah, yeah. But for 99% of people, it's behavioral. The number one way to avoid poverty is to follow what is called the success sequence. The success sequence, which is four steps. First, graduate high school. Second step, get a job. Any job, doesn't matter. Just get a job. Third, get married. Fourth, then have kids. That order. High school, get a job, get married, then have kids. Of people who follow that sequence, only 3% are poor. Only 3% are poor. Follow the sequence. Oh, wait a second. I got so many more directions I can go in here. Um, let me play this clip here. Let's cut right to the clip. Well, let, let, does, does that make sense? Everything we just said so far. So poverty is mostly caused by bad personal decisions. Now, okay, let me go this direction real quick. If that's true, which I think it is, then let's just look at economic inequality. If it's true that poverty is mostly caused by bad personal decisions, let's say having kids before you're married, for instance, or not graduating high school or not getting a job, whatever, right? Bad decisions in your life. If that's the main drive of poverty, let's look at economic inequality. They say the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poor. That's not true. Everyone's getting richer. It's just the rich are getting richer faster and at a greater rate then the poor are getting richer. But let's say for the sake of argument here that the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. We look at that and most people would look at that and say, oh, that's a failure of capitalism. Well, maybe it's not a failure of capitalism. Maybe that's exactly how capitalism is supposed to work. Maybe this rich getting richer, poor getting poorer is the natural consequence of some people making good decisions and some people making bad decisions. And maybe the reason that the poor are getting richer isn't because they're taking money from the poor. Maybe it's because most poor people are making bad decisions with their lives. It's funny. Why do you even feel ashamed to think this? Because society says that the poor and criminals, by the way, but the poor are victims. Society has preached to you that poor people are victims. Not people who are in charge of their own destiny. 
I want to get to that coming up in a second here. But let's end this segment on this clip here. This is Larry Elder, who's a black conservative, on Dave Rubin's show. So Dave Rubin uh, was a progressive. Now he's a liberal, uh, but he's seeing the light in his show, which I enjoy very much on YouTube. Uh, and he's not afraid to talk to conservatives. The interview starts off like this. This is 1577. But you wouldn't not acknowledge that there are some systemic issues. Give, give me an example. G- tell me what you think the most systemic racist issue is. What is it? Well, I would say that because black people in most cases, in many cases, were descendants of slaves, that racism as, a, as an institution, that it just, a certain amount of it just exists. In 2015? I, it, that cer- give, give me the most blatant racist example you can come up with right now. Um, I think you could probably find evidence that in general, cops are, that, that cops are more willing to shoot if the uh, perpetrator is black What's your data than for, white. What's your basis for saying that? Last year... The, well, look, I know a lot of people would say, look what's going on in Chicago. I, I, I know what they would say. Yeah. I'm talking about what the facts are. 965 people were shot by cops last, last year and killed. 4% of them were white cops shooting unarmed blacks. In, in Chicago in 2011, 21 people were shot and killed by cops. Uh, in 2015, there were seven. Uh, in Chicago, which is a third black, a third white, and a third Hispanic, 70% of the homicides are black on black. Uh, about 40 per month, almost 500 uh, in the, per year last year in Chicago, and 75% of them are unsolved. Where is the Black Lives Matter on that? The idea that a racist white cop uh, and shooting unarmed black people is a peril to black people is BS. It's yeah. complete and total BS. And, and the reason for these so-called activists saying this is the assumption that racism remains a major problem in America. The media, CNN, especially MSNBC, runs down whenever a black cop shoots somebody, uh, and, it, and it's a, some, some march on Washington. It's ridiculous. Uh, black people, half the homicides in this country are committed by and against black people. Last year, there were 14,000 homicides, not talking about suicides, I'm talking about homicides. Mm-hmm. Um, half of them were black, 96% of them black on black of that 7,000. Where's a black... Black Lives Matter people on that. So that, there's where you would say that this is purely because of social justice. This Pure, is purely because... They- so he goes on and, and he just obliterates that whole argument. Uh, but I want to skip ahead to this point because this is first the cause of the problem and then ultimately, which what, what we deal with on this show, the solution to the problem. Next clip. Uh, the, 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 the problem, the, the biggest burden that black people have, in my opinion, again, is the percentage of blacks, 75% of them, that are raised without fathers. Uh, and that has every other social negative consequence connected to it. Crime, uh, not being uh, able to compete economically in the country, being more likely to be arrested, that's the number one problem facing the black community. And when I hear people tell me about systemic racism or unconscious racism, I always say, give me an example, and almost nobody can do it. So, so the family stuff so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll follow your logic there mm-hmm. on the family stuff what what can actually be done about that then i mean what because that's reverse, a, that's a big re- reverse the welfare state uh in um 1890 1900 you look at census reports a black kid believe it or not was slightly more likely to be born to a nuclear intact family than a white kid even during slavery uh, a black kid was more likely to be born under a roof with his biological mother and biological father than today. What's happened is we launched this so-called war on poverty in the 60s, where literally Lyndon Johnson sent people walk, knocking on doors. I, I, I lived in the 60s, and people knocked on doors 
apprising women of their availability to welfare, provided there was no man in the house. Uh, and we went from 25% of blacks being born outside of wedlock in 65 to 75% right now. And you look at how much money that we spent on welfare, uh, and the lines are parallel. It was a neutron bomb dropped on this country, not just on the black community, but on people in general. Uh, at one time, only about 5% of whites were born outside of wedlock. Now 25% of whites are born outside of wedlock. I was in college in 1970. And there was a report called the Moynihan Report, uh, the Negro Family, a Case for National Action. It was written by a liberal, by a man who became uh, a Democratic senator for the, from, from New York. And at the time, 25% of black kids were born outside of wedlock. He said, my God, this number is, is horrific. If we don't do something about it, it could get even higher. Well, fast forward, 25% of white kids are now born outside of wedlock. It is the number one problem in this country. And what we've done, in my opinion, is we've economically incentivized women to marry the government. And we've allowed men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. And now we have this. Amazing. And... Okay, that's Larry Elder on Dave Rubin's show. And the root of all of this is culture, which as we proved in the last hour, isn't even a black thing. I'm going to say this again. I'm going to say it again just so we can all know this deep down in our hearts and souls and minds right now. Black culture is not a thing. It's not, it's not a black thing because black people in other parts of the, the world don't have the same culture. It was a Southern thing, which was a Northern England and Scottish thing. The original colonists to that region. Kill this culture. Kill it dead. But it's the white elites who keep it going more than anyone, and they do that for their own power and their own gain. One more point I want to make about all this coming up next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network. All right, so this is actually the, what I really wanted to play about this uh, Larry Elder, Dave Rubin clip. So Dave Rubin, white guy, f liberal, but seeing the light about things. Uh, listen to his response. So we just talked about, you know, black culture and uh, shootings. And, and Larry Elder said, name like the biggest aspect of racism in America today. And he really couldn't. Uh, all right, so check this out. 1580. Yeah. Absurd. So it's funny. I find myself caught in between this a little bit as a liberal where I want to always try to defend the other. So in this case, the other being black people, I, I'm always sympathetic to that. And that, uh, yeah, yeah. And at the same time, I hear you laying out a pretty solid. Well, case I, these are just the facts. Right, stop here. Stop here. This is that's so interesting. That clip. He said, oh, you know, I'm caught in between. What are you caught in between? He's caught in between this progressive worldview that you need to care for the oppressed, the other, right? This false compassion for the other. That's what, if I'm a liberal, I have to care about the other. So I'm torn between that and the truth, facts, reality, right? He's like, oh, you know, I'm torn as a liberal. I have to, you know, I have to always knee jerk be on side of the other, but you just laid out a pretty compelling case of reality, Unbelievable. So Dave Rubin is soaked so long in this liberal worldview that he always has to be on the lookout for victims, for the oppressed, for groups of people who are oppressed, which is exactly what Peter Thiel was talking about in that clip we played a couple segments ago. And we're so inclined, we're so told that black people are oppressed. 
that even in the face of overwhelming evidence, and in this particular case about police shootings, overwhelming evidence laid out as clearly and objectively as possible, the best that Larry Elder could do with Dave Rubin was to get him to say, well, I'm caught between, which actually is a pretty big victory to move someone that far with facts, right? Um, to go from, I'm definitely on the side of, quote, the other, uh, to, well, I'm caught between, right? That's a pretty big victory, actually. But isn't that fascinating how progressives only see the world in terms of oppressed and oppressor? And he has this knee-jerk reaction that he has to side with what he views or what society has told him is the oppressed. Because he's a liberal. That's what liberals do. As opposed to defending the truth and looking at what is true. I think I got time for one more clip here. This is uh, 1581. This is a University of Toronto professor, Jordan Peterson, and he's talking about postmodern Marxists and progressives. Here it is. They believe that since you don't have an individual identity, your fundamental identity is group fostered. And that means that you're basically an exemplar of your race, hence white privilege, or you're an exemplar of your gender or your sex or your ethnicity, or you're an exemplar of however you can be classified so that you, you are placed in the position of victim against the oppressor, because that's the game. And it's, it's, a, it's a post-Marxist sleight of hand, right? The old Marxist notion was that the world was a battleground between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat, and that uh, failed to have any philosophical or ethical standing, that argument after the working class actually saw its standard of living massively elevated as a consequence of, of Western corporate democracy, uh, Western free enterprise democracy. And also, be, and, and also as a consequence of the revelations of everything terrible that had happened in every bloody country that ever dared to make equity and, and, and the Marxist communist dogma part of their fundamental structure, right? And nothing but murderousness and oppression. And so by the 1970s, it was evident that that game was up. The, post-mar- the postmodernist Marxist just barely, basically pulled a sleight of hand and said, okay, if it's not the poor against the rich, it's the oppressed against the oppressor. We'll just redivide the subpopulations in ways that make our, our bloody philosophy continue in its, in, its, in its movement forward, and that's where we're at now. And so for the postmodernists, the world is a Hobbesian battleground of identity groups. They do not communicate with one another because they can't. All there is is a struggle for power. And if you're in the predator group, which means you're an oppressor, then you better look out because you're not exactly welcome, uh, not exactly welcome, and neither are your ideas. So that's what you're up against. I would say it's time for conservatives to stop apologizing for being conservatives. You know, and... Stop there. Um... We're going to take a break here in a few seconds. I want to share a story coming up in the next hour, very short, um, of someone who desperately, desperately needs to be a victim because she has grown up in a society that says, if you are poor, you are virtuous. If you are a criminal, you are just a victim, <laughs> which is weird. You, you couldn't, like you as a conservative probably can't even comprehend it. Like if you're a criminal, you're a victim. Yes. And this, this girl, who by every standard would be deemed a success, can't settle. She can't be happy with that because in her world, you can only be virtuous if you're a victim. So she's desperately seeking victimhood. I'll share that story next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Crusaders. One last Jordan Peterson clip, if you don't mind. He is um, professor at the University of Toronto, and here he's given a speech just recently. And I love this because uh, I, I feel this all the time uh, when I see, when I hear people complaining about things. Here it is, fifteen eighty two. Compared to the rest of the world and the plight of other societies throughout the history of mankind, we're doing pretty damn well, and we should be happy to be living in the society that we're living in. So the first thing that you might want to note about postmodernism is that it doesn't have a shred of gratitude. And there's something pathologically wrong with a person who does have, doesn't have any gratitude, especially when they live in what so far is the best of all possible worlds. And so if you're not grateful, you're driven by resentment. And resentment is about the worst emotion that you can possibly experience apart from arrogance. Resentment, arrogance, and deceit. There's an evil triad for you. And if you're bitter about everything that's happening around you, despite the fact that you're bathed in wealth, then there's something absolutely wrong with you. You know, the black community in the United States is the 18th wealthiest community, 18th wealthiest nation on the planet. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't such a thing as relative poverty. And relative poverty matters. It's an important, it's an important political economic issue, and it's very, very difficult to deal with. But absolute wealth matters too, and, and Western societies have been absolutely remarkable in their ability to generate and distribute wealth, as you can tell by just looking around and taking a, you know, a brief bit of consideration for the absolute miracle that even a building like this represents. So you have to educate yourself about postmodernism. The five emotions and values, I should say, that are most necessary to live a fulfilled life are curiosity, zest, hope, love, and gratitude. If you live a life where you are constantly looking for victimhood and making excuses and blaming things from hundreds of years ago for your own failures and, and, and situation, then you don't have any of those five things, least of all gratitude. Oh, the story I was going to share, I almost forgot. So uh, this was published just a couple weeks ago in our local newspaper here. Uh, this is a girl who came to America from Mexico. I think she was eight years old. She went to a good public school, got really bad grades. She was told by a teacher that she had to learn English. So she did, and she buckled down. She got on honor roll. And she graduated high school, and now she's a journalism major at San Diego State University. And she wrote an editorial complaining about her life because she had to, quote, leave her culture behind when her teacher in elementary school told her she had to speak English. She had to leave her culture behind in order to be successful in America, which is so ridiculously absurd. I, like... <laughs> First of all, you didn't have to leave anything behind when you learn English. You can still speak Spanish. Like I don't. But the point is, I'm not even going to dignify her ridiculous argument with anything other than the observation that she has to be a victim. 
And you can't even blame her because she's only known this idea growing up in America where you have to be a victim, where your virtue comes from victimhood. By every standard of human existence, she has made it. She is successful. Or well on her way, right? She's going to graduate from a four-year university and be a go journalism major and go on and provide for her family, et cetera, et cetera. She's successful. But she has to look back and find a way to be categorized as a victim. She has to find a way to be seen as oppressed because that's how you truly achieve virtue. The only way to be virtuous is to be a victim. The only way to be virtuous is to be oppressed. That's what she believes because that's what our culture says and it is sad. What a perfect example other than saying, wow, how amazing it is that I'm here in Mexico, here in America where I'm now, you know, I graduated and I'm going to college and I'm going to graduate. And I'm going to have a great job, et cetera, et cetera. How amazing is it? Like, gosh, what would I be if I was still back in Mexico living in poverty, blah, blah, blah. That's gratitude. She has none. She's miserable. That's really sad. I hope, gosh, we've been talking about this for an hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> I could talk about it forever. Culture is everything. Let me wrap up this discussion, then we'll get to Bud, uh, World War II veteran Bud, and this will just is amazing. Um, but I want to share a quick story here of Yuri Bezmenov. Yuri was a Soviet KGB agent. He went to India and then defected to uh, Canada, actually. But he wrote a book called Love Letter to America, warning us about the Soviet art of deception. Because in that part of the world, the greatest way to win a battle is to not fight it. The culture of that part of the world, the cultures of that part of the world says the best way to win a battle is to not fight it at all. This was true of Sun Tzu in China, Genghis Khan in Mongolia, and Russian culture as well. The goal is to either meet your enemy with such superior force that they run away and you don't have to fight, or deceive them so that you win without fighting anyway. So here's this KGB agent who came to America and talked about things that A, the KGB has specifically done to deceive the West and America or things that Western intellectuals have done on their own, which has the same end result either way. Four things, three, I think, stand up 100%. The first, corrupt the young. Get them interested in sex. Take them away from religion. Make them superficial and enfeebled. Do we even need to talk about how that has come true? Number two, divide the people into hostile groups by constantly harping on controversial issues of no importance. Turn on CNN right now. I have no idea what they're talking about, but I guarantee you it is of zero importance. But there will be people on the TV harping about it. Number three, destroy people's faith in their national leaders by holding, up, holding them up for contempt, ridicule, and disgrace. Of course, we see that. And finally, always preach democracy, but seize power as fast and as ruthlessly as possible. Which is, you see with the protesters when they say, this is what democracy looks like. And it's like, they're, they riot and they're violent. <laughs> You're like, oh well, yeah, I guess that is. Um, so the, again, this, do we, I don't think we need any examples of all these things. 
But two quick quotes from this gentleman in his book. And then I want to make the big point in the next segment. First on education, he said the American romance with state-run education, as encouraged by KGB subverters, has, been, has already produced generations of graduates who cannot spell, cannot find Nicaragua on a world map, and cannot think creatively and independently. Of course, we know that's true. And finally, a theme that we've had the last few months has been the foolishness of news entertainment. And uh, this KGB agent says, an issue that may benefit a few is a non-issue. He says, civil rights of homosexuals is not an issue. Defending sexual morality is the larger real issue. He says, the main purpose of non-issues and the devastating result of their introduction is the sidetracking of public opinion, energy, money, and time from the constructive solutions. Soviet propaganda elevated the art of infiltrating and emphasizing non-issues in American public life to the level of actual state policy. All this distraction was done on purpose. Or, if it's not done on purpose by some people, it plays right into the hands of those who want to do it on purpose. But the big point is equality, and that's what I want to talk about next. But do you see the importance of culture? It's everything. From the language we speak, how we view the world, how we view work and family and children and what is good and what is true and what is beautiful and what is valued and what is not valued. Politics is downstream of culture. Everything is downstream of culture. Now, here's the good news. You are the culture center. In your home, in your family, it is 100% up to you and no one else. The culture you set in your home and how you raise your kids, and how you act at work, and how you act around your friend, et cetera, et cetera. You are culture setters. That's what I find so empowering about this whole conversation. I hope it hasn't been discouraging. I hope it's been enlightening and revealing, not discouraging, and it should be super empowering because you set the culture every single moment of every single day. one 888 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. Slider Crusaders. So talking about this former KGB agent and talking about how they take an idea of truth and then distort it. And he said, one of the, the things that we do this the most with or, or has been the most successful is the idea of equality. The idea that people born equal are born equal. Therefore, they must be equal. That sounds great, right? But it makes no sense. No one's born equal in any way whatsoever. At all. We're not even born the same weight. Let alone the same physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all the rest. We're born equally before the law. But that's it. But so in any other way, we're not equal. So what we have to do then is now legislate equality. So now you have those who are less equal. 
demanding more from those who are more equal. That has to be done by law, which introduces a third party into the equation known as the government. And they take from some and give to others so that we can achieve this utopian vision of equality. Let let me quote from this KGB guy. He says, the beauty of the best and most successful political and economic system created by the founding fathers of America is that it has nothing to do with legislated or enforced equality. The American Republic is based on the principle of equal opportunities for unequal and very different and diverse individuals to develop their abilities and to coexist in mutually beneficial cooperation. And that is entirely a different story. That much I knew even from the Soviet textbooks of American history. Now, we get that, right? There's nothing new there. You've heard that a million times. But let's go to the next step. Like what happens now if we have this false idea of equality? We got the people who are unequal, the people who have less. And in a culture where it's all about material things, it's all about money. I mean, you got the race baiters who claim you have no hope because of your race, which we've been talking about. You have the income inequality baiters who claim that you can't achieve happiness because you don't have as much money as some other person which is a total lie. Zero Money has zero to do with happiness. There's all these studies, but above some very, very, very small minimum income, anything above that is, has zero correlation to happiness whatsoever. So money does not bring happiness. That's been proven a million times over and over. But the income inequality baiters will tell you that that's what it's all about. And the goal here, or at least the end result, is to make everyone miserable because they're less equal or guilty because they're more. All right? The poor are miserable and the wealthy are guilty. Why is this important? This is the KGB agent. He says, unhappy and discontent people are less productive than those who are happy being what they are and making the best of it. Decreased productivity, as we all know, leads to such unpleasant things as inflation, unemployment, and recession. These, in turn, cause social unrest and instability, both economic and political. Chronic instability breeds radicalism as a means of solving problems. And radicalism is the precondition of a power struggle, which has often resulted in violent and forceful replacements. And if the situation deteriorates badly, this KGB agent says, this replacement takes ugly forms of internal civil war or revolution or invitation of a, quote, friendly and fraternal neighbor and finally ends up in the traditional way. More state control. And any nation is able to do this with herself. Do the, uh, is, is able to do this to herself without any help from my comrades and their numerous KGB agents. And any one of you in America easily can observe this vicious chain of events by simply reading your newspaper or watching TV. This is, has to stop. All of it. All this nonsense. The hatred, the anger, the materialism, the guilt, the shame, the hopelessness. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. I'll never forget about a year or so ago on my local show, we had a listener call in an older black man, so full of wisdom. And, and I, I forget what we were even talking about uh, that made him call in, but he called in and he talked about, ultimately we got talking about how he really doesn't have a lot of money, but it doesn't matter because he has a place to rest his head and he has food and he has friends and he has family and his life is good. He's living a good, successful life. Coming up, we're going to talk about or play an interview I did with a World War II veteran, Bud. And, and we're going to talk about growing up in the Depression in Brooklyn, where he said, we were so dirt poor, but we didn't even know it. My grandpa, you ask him about his childhood, 
And he remembers playing baseball with his friends. And he tells me stories of riding the trolley with his dad. And just lights up. We sold such a bill of goods when it comes to happiness. And we are lied to by people who want power. They're the ones preventing you from being happy. Well, you following them is preventing yourself, but you know what I mean? It's got to stop. The people who are preaching this to you, they don't want you to be happy. They want power for themselves. Last quote from the KGB guy. He says, this is all happening, but it's happening slowly. He says, that's exactly how it's intended to be. Like the small hand of your watch, you know it moves, but you cannot see it moving. We got World War II veteran Bud coming up next. Don't miss it. Mike Slater Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.